look at this. Now, theoretically, <clears throat> oh, you can tell I haven't spoken for literally, what, uh, 10 hours? Uh, oh, need more tea. Evening all, it's Rail Matter. We're here for uh, the, the last live episode of 2021. Good grief. Oh, let's, uh, let's go big face. Where are we? Hello. Let's go big. Right. In fact, and also, it's, since it's a holiday special. Hello, everyone. Looking traditionally bleached out. Uh, since it's a holiday special, I need to get the old uh, the old Santa hat on. There we are. Lovely. Marvellous. Right. <laughs> ah, cheers, everyone. Oh, yes. Right. We're here to talk about films. We're here to talk about... Well, where are we? Uh, let's go back to this. Yeah, we're here to talk about um, the official Rail Natter Top 10 Classic Railway Films. Uh, I don't know if it could be more of an explicit title. That's what we're here to do. Um, and good grief, we are going to try and make it entertaining. Hopefully everyone is drinking something fun. If you're not already, grab yourself something festive. Uh, I've eaten only mince pies. And I've just eaten all the last of my biscuit selection. There's a panettone behind me, which we could... Uh, which we might well uh, start relying uh, relying on. Hello to everyone. Grief, we've got Daniel Cantwell from New York City. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello. Lovely to see everyone in the chat. Ah, ah, the, the chat, lovely. Look at this. Remember to at me if you've got things to say. Uh, can we get an orange Santa hat from the merch store, asks Tom, quite possibly. Uh, thanks to everyone sending your uh, Rail Natter mask selfies and your uh, gadget van mug uh, pictures. I'm finding those highly entertaining. Do tag me and Rail Natter, uh, use the hashtag in, in him, because it's uh, very weird. It's not never not going to be weird. Uh, Simon's not allowed to drink. Oh, you can drink tea. That's allowed. Um, so, yeah, indeed. Uh, Karun Kumar, now that's what I call Railway Christmas Films. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. But before we do that, before we do that, I'm going to bump back to No Face. We're going to do, um, we're going to do something nice. We're going to start with a little treat. Now, it might not look like much, but this tiny little building used to be Britain's busiest signal box, Borough Market Junction. Now, for 80 years, this, uh, this, this building built in uh, 1895 by the South Eastern Railway to a standard design, uh, to sit on a little tower of bricks above the lines uh, from uh, London Bridge Station, Cannon Street Station, and Charing Cross, this huge kind of massive lines all, all kind of crossing over each other. Um, in fact, at its peak of operation, this signal box used to move a thousand trains a day in all different directions with two signalers standing here and operating all 35 of these levers to make sure those trains went where they needed to. Now you might be wondering, why on earth is it up here at the National Rail Museum in York? Well, in 1976 it was replaced by the new London Bridge power signal box and thankfully it was brought up here and preserved for us all to enjoy. <laughs> I do love a good signal box, as you can see. Now, it might be Network Rail's digital and film teams who've made this cabin for me to sit in, but there are actually other teams at Network Rail who are currently helping the National Rail Museum with the restoration of Borough 
market junction signal box itself. They're helping actually with the next stage of restoration and that means involving the restoration and rebuilding of the brick base itself and then taking the whole thing indoors for eventual redisplay so we can all go in and have a look at it and enjoy it, understand it too. Now, you can visit the National Railway Museum uh, in York. It's very close to the railway station, easy to get to you by train, and it's free to enter. They've got huge displays telling thousands of stories of innovation, technology, change and adventure all across our incredible railway. Now, to find out more about the railway heritage actually that exists on today's modern railway network too, do visit networkrail.co.uk forward slash history. Uh, yeah, that's nice, isn't it? Uh, I thought you'd enjoy. Is this a metaverse? Yeah, um, uh, I'm, we're we're crossing boundaries. No, Network Rail very nicely. Um, actually, via Tim, really, Tim and and Jen at the Network Rail um, uh, kind of film unit, the kind of the equivalent of the old British Transport Film Unit, basically. Um, we're doing these. Decided to do these sort of twelve doors to Christmas, and they're lovely. Uh, they're quite nice. I've done. I'm 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 in. Uh, I'm in three of them and i've been in two of them so far so there's one more in fact tomorrow's i think you can look forward to spoiler alert um yes so uh, hello jen if you're watching hello everyone who's watching it these weren't in last week this one wasn't in last week's rail matter because last week's rail matter was a pre-record um but uh yes yeah, nice little nice little tidbit there um uh, yeah so enjoy that uh i've, I've enjoyed doing that there'll be another one I'll, I'll feature the next one the second one is is um later on uh, in tonight's episode because they're just nice little tidbits go watch them add to you know go and like them on youtube and, and watch the twitter versions but you can see all of them there's some serious treats in there my ones are are fine but there are some really interesting gems uh just go to twitter and go hashtag 12 doors to christmas they're also on youtube if that's uh, that's your sauce um nathan l hello Binged your stuff after catching on Well, There's Your Problem podcast and now here got to fill self-isolation somehow. I can only apologise for the hundreds of hours worth of rail matter material there is somehow. Um, hello, Jen. Uh, Jen on the move says hi. Right. Uh, from there, from that cheery, 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 we're now going to go less cheery because we've got to talk about the COVID stats, right? Um, here we are. Uh, let's, in fact, let me get my old Whackham out. Whackham, come here. Oh, so... Um, yeah, this is the latest numbers. Let me press this button so you can see me pen. Uh, we're down here, uh, and you can see that uh, the provisional numbers show a big drop. And whilst the main, the actual drop might not be that significant, you can see it's a pretty big drop. So let's let's dive in. Well, firstly, last year, let's remind ourselves what happened last year. So we had holiday measures being kind of desperately dragged in at, at, at late stage, and then there was an obvious drop in ridership. Uh, this year, we're obviously in a much better place. You know, the scale's the same here. Uh, it's just flicking between 2020 and 2021. We're obviously in a better place now than we were um, this time last year. So so kind of uh, this time last year, we were, well, we're about here. Um, so that was, uh, yeah, around about the 60% mark, whereas uh, last year we were less than, you know, we were at 15%. So we're clearly in a better place ridership-wise. But... Clearly, there's been a major drop, and I've added a new yellow line here because we've had this announcement for everyone to work from home if they can. Um, those Omicron measures coming in, um, what was it, the 8th of December, I think? So that's... I've now added this to my little graphic, and you can sort of see that pretty much rapidly from there, there's there's this drop in, in rail ridership. Uh, so, I mean, that figures, it matches. Uh, the, the, the gradient, it seems 
we'll see when that so it's dotted because it's still provisional numbers the final data hasn't arrived yet be interesting to see when that um when we do get the final stats how that compares with the, the gradient of the drop-off after the holiday measures you know d- does that match uh, you know does that match there anyway uh, in terms of road usage still pretty much 100 percent uh cycling usage less than 100 percent around uh, just over 80 percent at the moment uh, of pre-covid levels this is of course um uh, bus is sitting at around 80 although again bus has dropped off pretty pretty drastically as well so yeah there we are as you'd expect so so uh as we kind of all thought if there was going to be another wave our little um our little 75 percent of pre-covid ridership by the end of the year well we reached it here so actually we did reach it but that's going to tail that's tailed off again because britain is not doing a good job of containing omicron so um there we go. Those be the stats. Uh, and also, so uh, the ORR with uh, some absolutely dreadful graphics. Not only is the resolution of the... Come on, ORR, lots of love for you guys, but get better graphic. Get, get a better graphics person in who or get someone who's doing the data who gets graphics. They've copy-pasted over the logo. I mean, this is the, also the resolution. This is horribly JPEG. The resolution is dreadful, which means these are really difficult. And also the information as a result is really difficult to read. But what this is giving is an idea of which train operators in order, kind of in descending order, which train operators are closer to pre-COVID levels. And this is referring back to uh, quarter two, 2021-22. Uh, which is what is that? That's April. To, to, that's so. That's so. Quarter one is April, May, June. Quarter two is July, August, September. Um, yeah, that makes that makes sense. You can see weirdly, ScotRail is down here at its lowest uh, kind of numbers. That I find very interesting. I didn't expect that because ScotRail has got a mixture of long distance, regional, and and suburban. Um, LNER is up here at the top. Uh, doing doing the best at bringing everyone back, and then there's a big jump down. So that's at ninety percent. There's a big jump down to seventy percent with MerseyRail, which again is you know MerseyRail is is very much a suburban network. So the picture isn't quite as as long distance versus suburban as you might think. It's it seems to be uh, quite different. Um, yeah, East Midlands Railway sixty eight percent. So you can see there's a lot above the sixty percent mark. Your northern, uh, but even London Overground. So again, you can see it's not even like it's it's London versus the rest as well. So you know, London Overground, yeah, less traditionally for, um, uh, you know, for in inner city commuting, city commuting, you know, commuting for the traditional city, inner city workers. But actually a lot of people are using that to travel around the city to potentially less white collar jobs. Maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. But uh, those statistics are interesting. It'll be very interesting to see that then I think the next lump are being announced in the next, uh, you know, shortly in a, in a week or two, perhaps. So be good. So that's, I think, July to uh july oh, so to, i think july to september and then uh the next quarter that's that's q2 q3 then and correct me if i'm wrong is uh, is october to uh october november december yeah october december is that right anyone else correct me on that yes no uh matt reed yeah no i know it's this is it as, as highest resolution i'm afraid uh, you're right this is very difficult to read um yeah what can i say Oh, um, where are we? Roz, Roz decided to compete with me directly. Gregor, what, in what way? I'd, I've lost, lost the context. Um, yes, no. Uh, what in volume of data, of, 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 of content? Yeah, I know. 
Um, something went wrong with the last output for sure. Oh, I see. Uh, yeah, I've just just they could output this at like just output it at like 1080p. That would be a start because then it would be at least it would be you know filler filler screen. You know, by far the best. Anyway, you know, it's really bad quality. Right. Anyway, enough of that. Uh, the the data is interesting to look at. Hence why I've annotated it verbally there in, to some extent. Um, uh, David Shepard asks, do you know what the expected change between TFL rail and crossrail passages is supposed to be? Uh, how do you mean the expected change or what the jump might be? Uh, pff, no idea. Uh, lots of uh, London reconnections and other London rail nerds might be able to answer that better. Um, anyway, yes. So, uh, right. The news. How are we starting off with the news? Well, we're starting the news with a uh, friend of the show, although hasn't been on the show yet, uh, Noel Dolphin of Fuhrer and Frey fame, and also the campaign to let fly Britain's railways, um, did a nice little thread summarising the um, the GBR transition team sort of did a bit of a they did a bit of a presentation as to what they're expecting to happen. Also notice this sort of logo thing here. Uh, logo? Question mark. This is the transition team logo. So if you hear people referring to the TT, uh, by the way, this is referred to... Oh, why did my Wacom make those... turn those d dashes into pie? Anyway, um... TT refers to transition team. So you might hear people, if you're hearing people talking the lingo, you might hear transition team being referred to. People saying TT, they mean transition team. And the transition team is supposedly creating GBR. Um, uh, it's a very good point. Someone has, someone just mentioned, uh, Simon's just said cross country and not in a good way. Cross country are indeed not in a good way. Cross country are a franchise being left to die by government. They don't like it. They don't like the franchise. They are very uninterested in it, despite it being critical. Uh, IRP plans will destroy. Anyway, that's for the, that's something else. Anyway, so this presentation also good grief. Just let's let, get worried about the graphic again. Graphic designers. This is this appears to be Calibri with a shadow on a red, possibly just highlighted red, or at least a text box with 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 then a, using the the corporate identity symbol. You know the double arrows as a as a transparency, which I'm not necessarily against. Anyway, it's a bit of a mess. Come on now, do do better. Anyway, so transition team, their findings are. Look at the rail alphabet too here, everyone. Their findings are, and the thing that's interesting from this is 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 about dates. It's what their understanding of the dates for when Great British Railways will become a thing. Stupidly named GBR. April twenty twenty two is when it will become a. I believe is when it will start becoming a legal entity. At the moment, all the people in the transition team uh, have to be employed elsewhere because GBR doesn't exist and therefore cannot pay them. Um, so that's number one. Uh, number two, uh, so that's April 2022, sorry, December 2022. So the, so in a year's time, there's an expectation that the GBR bill, whatever that happens to look like, will get its, sec uh, its second reading, I think. That's the second bill reading, as in that should be a lower S. Oh, anyway, you, you get what's going on. So it'll be the second reading of the GBR bill. Um, wait, I have the power. Have the, watch this, watch this, everyone. Uh, I have the power. Uh, duh, 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 duh. There we are. Nice. Let's do, let's do that. Um, yeah, second reading uh, there is going to be just the end of next year, so in a year's time. That feels optimistic to me, but whatever. And then 2023-24, which is a two years worth of broad explanation, is when GBR will start taking things over. So that's currently the schedule um see what yeah that see what that kind of let's see what that 
how that manifests itself. Some other interesting points, sort of points that are being raised in this meeting that are worth uh, paying attention to, are um, uh, must avoid making a bigger network rail. Uh, I, I mean, partly yes. I, I mean, actually, yeah, partly that's not something I necessarily disagree with because it will be a different organisation with a different remit. It will be an organisation design. You know, it will need to run trains. It will need to think about. You know, whereas Network Rail's job is basically to make infrastructure happen and, and function. Um, so there's a there's a, yes and no, but also it will constitute a large amount of Network Rail and Network Rail functions. Contrary to what a lot of people say, Network Rail functions pretty well. So they don't need to they need to not rip up Network Rail whilst avoiding making a bigger Network Rail. So I think there's 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 a risk of of a load of train people wanting to run. To, to make to, to be in charge of tracks, which is the, the worst possible. You know, that's a bad outcome as well. We don't want track people in charge of trains. We don't want train people in charge of track. We want the right people in the right places. Um, but but on the face of it, this is not necessarily a a, a, a statement that I'm too angry about. Uh, this one is a bit more annoying. Projects need to be delivered quicker and cheaper. Great. No one ever doesn't say that. This is such a straw man thing. It's like yeah, sure. Everyone wants that to happen. No no one's mission. No one goes into work and says right. I'm going to make this project as expensive and as slow as possible. No one says that. <laughs> no one ever argues that. So this is always a bit this this for me is always a bit of a always a bit of a like a red flag. Like if you see if you see this people claiming this then then for me it's like well yeah what what do they actually mean by that? What's the what's the actual point they're making, you know, what what's the actual thing they're they're saying here? Um so uh so there's there's that. Uh, anyway, right. Next uh next statement is focusing on net zero modal shift. Well, great. Okay. Fine. Um, fine. Matt Reed, you're asking about workforce. Um, we know that workforce is being pressured hard by government, but it's kind of partly through GBR, but also partly not through GBR. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, will Network Rail exist as is absorbed? It, it, par- no. Theoretically, they will transfer people over from Network Rail into the new organization, so it will be a different organization. But that, for me, seems daft. What you want to, That seems like a lot of waste and risk and, and actual safety risk as well. Massive organizational change has a, a excuse the pun, track record in hammering safety. So I think it'd be a really bad idea to um, just randomly change everyone into a new organization without retaining that. Actually, it'd be better for them to shift Network Rail over as it is and absorb it into, into GBR um, as it is and then just shift it and change it where, where it needs to happen. But... I think to, to to obliterate network rail and create a new thing is a recipe for safety disaster. Um, and actually, as as George Breerfield, uh, who is a who will get on the uh, get on actually, he's a uh, he's a sort of a safety health and safety specialist. Really, um, he currently works for Rockrail, but he used to be a, a kind of involved in ORR and RSSB. And um, yeah, George will ha, has said you know what what risk assessment has under, has been undertaken by GBR to manage safety risk as a result of this massive cultural. And, and, and organizational change none is is the answer at this point so hopefully the tt will pick that up so if anyone's in the tt looking at that then um please pay attention to that ah uh, yeah lots of people saying um unless you've got a government con- covid contract through a ministerial mate yeah fair point um don't people w- just whinge about nr because they expect them to do everything on basically five pence correct um uh yes quick good cheap pick two yeah that's it projects uh, there's always you've got you've got cost you've got time and you've got quality and uh if you like 
they're they're a bit of a triangle and you can only you know if you can only adjust if you adjust you know if you adjust say time and cost then it means that your quality is going to go downhill so yeah um or if you know if you want to if you want to make it cheaper uh then it means that you then it means you need to impact uh you know if you want to make it cheaper and and quicker then uh, sorry you've done that if you want to make it cheaper but retain quality then it's going to take longer so these this is how projects work you can't get over the fundamentals of project anyway i digress horribly let's talk about other news ah yes the rail betrayal lovely um so there's quite a lot of rail betrayal updates to the Integrate Rail Plan, uh, which uh, is just doing the rounds and making a right mess. Let's start with government admitting. Uh, so Baroness Veer, the Parliamentary Undersecretary for State for the Department of Transport, admitting that the government doesn't yet know how its Integrated Rail Plan will actually work on the ground. So, so just to be explicit here, this is a, this is a plan, not uh, not a plan. Because fundamentally, a plan is how you make the thing happen. It's not what the thing should be. It's how you, the plan is how you make the thing happen. So if you don't know how it happens, it isn't a plan. Fundamentally, IRP is not a plan. It's a government ideology being slapped across uh, across the rail industry. So so there we go. So that's um uh, yeah. I love the fact that they've this, like derided integrated rail plan. This thing is not. This is a document that is is just it's, it's accepted by the, polit the even the journalistic zeitgeist that this is a bad document that is not uh, that does not have anything good in it. Like it just absolutely flatly accepted, which is which is good. It shows that all the noise we've made has had an impact. Um, meanwhile, our, our our special special boy here, Grant Shapps. Here he is looking doing his best Mark Hamill impersonation, which is a bit weird. Here he is. Draw a circle around his head. Um, Grant Shapps here, with his favourite union flags all surrounding him, um, is saying, well, what's he saying here? He's saying the electrification of the Midland Main Line shows we're not wasting any time. It was supposed to be finished in December 2020. It was announced in 2012, which is nearly 10 years ago. We're getting on with our £96 billion integrated rail plan. No, you're not. Yesterday, I visited Leicester, where we've started work before Christmas to slash journey times and level up the country. No, no, that's that's not what nine miles of electrification to market harborough is going to achieve uh what else have we got oh yeah his other tweet so that's one tweet you know absolute rot this video is just it's just propaganda it's just actual propaganda like it, there's nothing true in it lots of errors lots of just lies you know he's just lying he's lying to us all call him out on it and another one here he's written a column for the for the yorkshire post um uh, don't be deterred by the doom mongers and naysayers. The IRP is delivering right now. It isn't. And will continue to do so. It won't. Bringing better and more efficient, greener services faster. It, it won't do those things. Um, so there we go. Um, so this is just his own column within the within the Yorkshire Post. He's entitled to, you know, publish his own columns within the Yorkshire Post. That's fine. Um, he's, just, he's just speaking rot. He's lying. And he... What's funny is he's clearly shook. Our boy is shook. It's clear that this that the amount of um, uh, the amount of negative publicity and, and essentially the amount of rigor with which this plan plan I'm doing rabbit ears has been interrogated. Uh, he didn't expect it. He clearly did not expect it, and so he's a bit butthurt uh, as a result. Uh, rightly so. Good grief! It's 23 minutes in already. Anyway, 24 minutes. Uh, it's continuing though because the IRP has uh, now resulted in. Um, uh, extensions to the Nottingham tram system being cancelled. So, you know, when I talk about the fact that the IRP is obliterating local transport, this is what I'm talking about. 
you know, so that's uh, as an example of a local tra- massive local transport inc- uh, uh, transport um, investment being cancelled because of it. Fantastic. Thank you very much indeed. Um, also, very funny piece in New Civil Engineer, um, which is worth reading. Uh, I shared it today. A lot of people are reading it. Um, Rail commentators, engineers and opposition politicians have hit out at government claims that work to electrify the Midland Main Line is as a result of pledges made in the integrated rail plan. Yeah, exactly. Um, DFT slammed for insulting claim that IRP pushed through long-delayed Midland Mainline electrification. Uh, yeah, that insulting in brackets is me. It's me. I said that, and that's that's why they're saying insulting, because I gave them a good quote. Um, so, yeah, this is this is just the latest. They're, they're going to keep... This, this is just going to keep happening, folks. It's just going to keep happening relentlessly. This is only the beginning. They won't stop now. Yep. Uh, right, so putting the integrated rail plan, rail betrayal bollocks to one side. Um, a tit on time. Uh, Elon Musk somehow is Time's Person of the Year. What has he done? Right, so first of all, time, Time's Person of the Year does not have to be a good person. So, so put all those complaints to one side. They just have to be someone who's been more influential than anyone else and haven't been on it before or something uh, on it. The trouble is... What the hell has he done? He's done nothing. What has he done? As far as I can tell, the only thing he has achieved this year is that he has pushed through an illegal oil refinery. That's about the only thing he has actually achieved. Oh, and also getting very personally rich off the back of the uh, off the back of the of the coronavirus pandemic. What's he actually personally? What's he achieved? What's he done? Nothing. Why is he on time? It just doesn't make any sense. It's just. Uh, 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 I just, uh, I just, I don't know. Anyway, that's enough, quite enough of that. Look at his, look at his little apartheid face. Anyway, we're going to talk about trains on film. Uh, we're only 25, 26 minutes in. It's fine, everyone. It's absolutely fine. <laughs> Here is, um, uh, uh, okay, this is, this is being cheeky because we're not going to feature Mission Impossible because it's only, there's only got a train in it for a bit. Uh, I'm going to be talking about films that that substantially revolve, have a plot that substantially revolves around a train. A train is a feature, or a railway is a character of the film. Uh, but anyway, it did give me an excuse to put in some fun pictures of, of Tom Cruise uh, filming that scene in Mission Impossible, uh, which is a fun scene, which I want to break down at some point. And I have a half-set-up video at some point where I'll break down this scene and the things of it that are fun and the things of it that are not fun. And the things of it that people say are wrong that aren't. Oh, anyway, so... um. Right, let's do it. Let's 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 crack on with the show, everyone. Uh, thanks for sticking with me. Remember to at me if you've got questions. Um, welcome to tonight's Rail Matter. Little snowflakes falling down onto our laps and our hats and our respective uh, Christmassy things. Let's put up some posters of films. Look at all these films. Oh, look at these. These are all the ones that have not made the cut, which is cheeky because I've used... Uh, uh, I have indeed used a, a still from uh, the Cassandra Crossing Whoops, uh, as, the, um, as the thumbnail. But actually... Um, Cassandra Crossing uh, isn't making our list. Neither is um, 
The 39 Steps, which, having just said it only features a film tangent- uh, trains fa- tangentially and so it doesn't make the cut, 39 Steps I am kind of half including because the fourth bridge is in it and, and that means it bumps it up the rankings of, of counting as a train film, even though it, you know, isn't. Um, Strangers on a Train is uh, another one that doesn't quite make the cut uh, for me. Also, Brief Encounter, famous Brief Encounter, eh, doesn't quite make it for me. Uh, there we go. Um, uh, what else? Uh, we have. Um, oh yeah, the the the, the great train robbery uh, is 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 a popular one. That's that's kind of good fun ish. I've watched that in a very long time. In fact, I don't know if I've watched that as an adult. You know, as a as a, as a reawakened adult. Uh, it does have a score by Jerry Goldsmith though, so you know it can't be too bad. Uh, possibly. <laughs> Uh, anyway, yeah, make that uh, judge that as you will. And then um, another one which I have to say is uh, probably a bit sus these days. Uh, Northwest Frontier, I do enjoy it, and it, it's. I mean, as with the the oh, there are lots of versions of the Thirty Nine Steps. I put the Kenneth Moore one on because it has uh, the fourth bridge in it. Likewise, Kenneth Moore is very Kenneth Moore in Northwest Frontier. It's um a, a bit racially dubious now, frankly, but it does have some. Uh, very nice train scenes. The train becomes a character in and of itself, uh, and, and yeah, it's I, I, still good. I, again, I haven't watched. I, 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 I'm supposing I'd be fairly ex, like feel fairly excruciated by watching it now. Bah, I don't know. Uh, let's do a reassessment of that one in the future. But anyway, I, I do remember it being good fun, um, and has some good train scenes in it. So those aren't making the cut. But what films are? So let's crack on, shall we? Uh, in at number 10, starting with the... We're going to work our way up towards number one. We're starting with number 10. Now let's put my miniaturised face up in the top corner, shall we? Uh, let's do this. Hello, I'm in the top corner. Hello. Um, lovely. Oh, also, I'm going to... I'm actually going to do this as well. There we go. So you can all see me. Happy days. Um, so what is number 10? What are we starting with? Uh, send in your thoughts if you're angry about my omissions or, or decisions. But this is a, a rail in our top ten. Uh, the, you know, what can I say? So number ten. We're starting with Silver Streak. Uh, having just said, uh, you know, talked about, uh, you know, kind of uh, racism within film. This does have, literally does have Gene Wilder doing blackface right in front of Richard Pryor. Who um, actually walked off the set. With that during that scene, he actually like walked off the set until the scene was changed. It originally had a, it had a like a a white guy walking in and being entirely fooled by, um, right? Richard Pryor's character is actually applying blackface with shoe polish onto Gene Wilder. This is this is a messed up scene, um, and originally the director had had it like originally a white guy comes in and is entirely fooled by this racial caricature, um, and uh, Richard Pryor is like. This is bollocks. I'm not having this. I'm off until you change it up to being a black guy walking in, walking in and being entirely not fooled. At least it kind of brought a bit of humour to that scene. So uh, not ideal, but anyway, uh, it is still good fun. It's got a great score by Henry Mancini, the famous Mancini, um, uh, which is which is good fun. Um, it had to be filmed. What else is funny? It had to be filmed in Canada because Amtrak were just absolutely not having any of it. <laughs> they were just like. Uh, no, we, we, we don't want this to be a thing. We, it's, it'll, it'll be crashy and we don't want to show crashes. That's bad. Uh, so they weren't having any of it. So it's all, it was all like CP rail. It's all like Canada rail type stuff. Um, also, something that, uh, that is easy to forget, actually, until you rewatch it. It has Jaws in it. Richard Keel 
actually is in this film. And not only is he just in the film, but he has metal teeth in it as well. So Jaws is just in, he's just in the film, folks. He's just in it. They just put Jaws in it. Um, so yeah, uh, Silver Streak. Uh, I'd, I'd, uh, yeah, it is, it is number 10. And it, it, uh, oh yeah, I have actually put, I have put, oh, let's just change my pen color to white. Let me go, the pen pointer options. This is highly professional outfit here. Um, I have, uh, actually put in the Rotten Tomatoes scores in, in these. Cause I, you know, it's interesting to sort of see what, what generally, well, what kind of critics think about it. So, um, yeah, 81%, which is not bad going, is it? You know, 1976, Silver Streak, not too bad. Um, not, I mean, okay, it's not, not the perfect film, but, uh, number 10 on the list, because it, it, it is a bit of a romp, and it's, it, it, it's reasonably silly and good fun, and the score is great, and I, I, I'm at peace with it. Okay, so there we go. Um, they did indeed, the clip of Gene Wilder falling off the train, I think, is it Gene Wilder when he falls off the train? He falls off the train, like, three times in this film, I think. Uh, they stole a clip from Silver Streak and used it in the title sequence of the TV show The Fall Guy. Yeah, well, there we go. It's true. Thanks, David Shepard, yes. Um, what next? Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's worth pointing out. Uh, this, uh, this, ep- this film was based on an actual wreck that happened in 1953. Uh, there's a lovely GG3, uh, Pennsylvania Railroad smashed into, um, into Washington, D.C. Federal Station. Uh, no, not Federal Station. Oh, anyway, the Federal Express crashed. And I, it was my first um, Well, There's a Problem podcast uh, appearance. So uh, if you want to watch that, that's good fun. Go do that. Episode 21. Long time ago. Good grief. Um, next film. Number nine. Oh, I'm feeling... Am I Scott? I'm Scott Mills, basically, doing my countdown here. Uh, we've got Dave Pierce up. Uh, Dave Pierce, dance anthems. Up next. Um, right. Number nine. What's next? Well, it's Runaway Train, 1985's Runaway Train, which is a it's it's a it's a very different film. It's a very different tone. It's a good, it's a tense film. It's pretty tense. Um, it's really good. Like this is this is a it's actually a really good film. Um, it's got a score by uh, by Trevor Jones of Last of the Mohicans fame. Um, Trevor Jones it is interesting actually. Uh, so Trevor Jones, the 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 composer who put the score together for this. Um, okay, he's done lots of big things. You know, Last of the Mohicans is probably uh, arguably one of his finer scores. You know, really fantastic. But he did a lot of work in the UK, um, and he collaborated with uh, Jim Henson uh, among others. Uh, and so, as a result of that, uh, it's Trevor Jones did the score to Labyrinth and also the score to Dark Crystal, which is fantastic. You know, ah, just absolutely iconic score and. This is really good. The score to Runaway Train is really good. It helps build the tension. Um, other reasons why this is actually good. Uh, well, Gareth Williams, another film you've not heard of. The reason it's good to, the reason it's very good to go and watch. This is it. This is what we're supposed to be doing. It's films that you might not have uh, heard of for you to go and watch. Um, so uh, the reason this is a very good film, and it was Oscar nominated for actually, what was it? It was Oscar nominated for its editing and for uh, was it was it the two male lead? The two male leads were both Oscar nominated as well. Uh, De Mornay didn't get a look in. Sorry, Rebecca. Um, anyway, uh, also, is it is it the right train on the front of that picture? I uh, is it? Yeah, it is. Is it or is, do they actually have a softer hood on the front of the one? I can't. I can't actually remember. Anyway, um, uh, the reason it's good. I'm going to get to my point eventually. The reason it's good is because it was based on a on a much earlier a much earlier screenplay by Akira Kurosawa, who. All of you should know if you don't, if you know anything about film, he is like the one of the 20th century's like most important filmmakers. He he he's probably most famous. His two most famous famous films are probably um, 
Seven Samurai uh, and Star Wars A New Hope <laughs> because he wrote uh, he, he like A New Hope is just an absolute ripoff of uh, of Akira Kurosawa's one of his films about oh crap what's it what's it called the something fortress oh, I can't remember anyway uh, Kurosawa originally had put uh, co-written the screenplay for this uh, and intended it for it to be made in 1970 but uh, you know American funding reasons happened and so. Um, he couldn't. He, he didn't make it, and, and it eventually kind of bounced around until it was picked up again by uh, a Russian filmmaker. Actually, um, oh, what was his name? I can't remember the. I can't remember the director's name. It's probably on here, isn't it? Whose film is it? Uh, Konchalovsky. Oh yeah, Andrei Konchalovsky. Um, his film. There we go. He's Russian. Uh, actually, the the fact that he's Russian kind of shows because the whole thing is shot. It's shot like a documentary, which kind of adds to the tension. Um, you know, the cinematography is not hugely. You know, the, the photography work's not hugely predictable, which kind of gives it a bit of a tense edge. And it's also, as with this poster, actually, like shot with a very cold, desaturated light, which just adds to the feel of it. It's 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 a really well-constructed film. Um, it's pretty, it's, it's a bit shouty at, at moments, but it's it's pretty good. Um, and um, yeah, uh, also, originally, the 1970 version, oh, Hidden Fortress, that's it. Yeah, Magnificent Seven came from Seven Samurai. Uh, everyone knows that, yeah. So Magnificent Seven is basically a Kurosawa film. Um, but also, yeah, uh, if Kurosawa had made this in 1970, he would have cast Peter Falk as Manny, uh, the guy in the middle, John Voight, everyone's favourite racist John Voight. Um, he, uh, he's, he's, he's kind of played as a bit of an intellectual character, as a bit of a kind of an intellectual uh, con. I mean, it's a fairly stereotypical run, kind of the the intellectual ex-con uh, kind of convict versus the the sort of boyish hunky uh, convict type thing. But John Voight would, uh, you know, that his character Manny would have been played by Peter Falk, as in Columbo. Now that would have been that would have been good if they'd put Peter Falk in it. That would have been awesome. Um, anyway, right, Runaway Train, eighty-three uh, percent on on Rotten Tomatoes, not bad. Um, so uh, yes. Uh, next film. Her, what's it? Matt Reed. They're in. Well, that, that's why they're numbered. So the next one's number eight. So they're they're in order of the top ten in decreasing order. So we'll be ending with my number one classic railway film. Um, we're working our way down. So what is number eight? What is number eight? Ooh. Well, it's Von Ryan's Express from 1965. Uh, big fan of this film. Uh, it gets gets a solid 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is uh, which is pretty impressive. Um, it has some fantastic train sequences. It's kind of a bit of a ripping yarn. It's got Sinatra doing his thing. That's right. Actual Sinatra. Um, yeah, Frank Sinatra. Trevor Howard is brilliant. Everyone loves Trevor Howard. In fact, you saw Trevor Howard earlier. Trevor Howard was saying, this is only the beginning. They won't stop now. Uh, yeah, that's it. I was a dread, dreadful Trevor Howard. But anyway, um, uh, Trevor Howard playing... That was from Battle of Britain, by the way, where he's playing uh, uh, Mallory. No, not Mallory. Mallory's doing Big Wing. He's playing the other the other guy who's in charge of um, oh, eleven groups. Anyway, basically the other the other RAF guy underneath Dowding, who I've forgotten the name of. Um, so anyway, I digress. It's real matter. You'd you'd expect the the ending's really poignant of this. So, um, yeah, von Ryan's Express, good fun, fantastic location shooting in Italy. And then later on for the kind of the climactic sequences around the bridge, they moved to Spain because they couldn't quite find the right location, but it still works. It looks fantastic. Uh, you do notice that the, the, the rolling stock changes between those two, uh, which I was always a bit confused. I don't know why they didn't just wheel the, the rolling stock from one place. To the other. I don't know if the gauge changes. It'd be interesting if the gauge changed between films. I don't know if that happened. Anyone in the chat, does the gauge change between the films? Uh, 
rail that chat. Go do your magic. Um, yeah. What else? Uh, oh, um, yeah. This the, the film is scored by Jerry Goldsmith uh, again. Jerry Goldsmith is back. Jerry Goldsmith, by the way, famous for um, uh, famous for doing the Star Trek movies, which means in turn Jerry Goldsmith is famous for the TNG. Uh, theme tune because that theme is actually from oh, which film is it it's from one of the earlier star trek films uh, i think they play it in slow motion when they go when they're doing the classic star trek film beauty sequence where they just pointlessly fly around uh, the enterprise going look at the enterprise um what's von ryan's express about matt reed uh, a bunch of it's 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 a bit like great escape but with trains uh, it's good fun um yeah, I'm thinking. Uh, I'm thinking there is a gauge. There is a track gauge change between between sequences. That's a fun thing to look out for. Another thing that annoys me about this film is um, they they make the classic, the classic uh, '60s war film mistake of. Well, I suppose it was just because they there weren't any BF 109s around, but they they cast BF 108s, Messerschmitt 108s instead of 109s, and they both they look completely different. Like they look, they just look different. They've got fat. They look like little kind of monoprop they just look like little sort of runaround aircraft which because they were the 108s were quite fast they were used as personnel carriers they were not used as um uh they were not used as uh you know fighter attack aircraft like the 109s that always annoys me 633 squadron did it as well they have these buzzy little 108s it's like that's not what 108 that's not what the fighter aircraft look like why are you doing come on anyway that's that's my only complaint it's good fun uh it's good and tense and it's a it's a good old war romp uh, 90% is not bad on Rotten Tomatoes, so clearly it's held up pretty well. Oh, next, next film. Um, next film, right. Number seven on our classic railway film list. Uh, how's this? Is this, is this fun? Is this, is this doing what you hoped it would do? Is it doing what it said on the tin, uh, dear, dear watchers? Anyway, right, number seven. It's The General. It is Buster Keaton's The General, which I think is an absolutely iconic piece of film. Um... Honestly, iconic piece of film. Brilliant. Really brilliant. Oh, oh, oh. Just let me just jump back to Von Ryan's Express and talk about Jerry Goldsmith. Jerry Goldsmith, also famous for um, the uh, Universal Pictures fanfare, which I'm trying to remember in my head now. I have an ear for tunes, but they, they sometimes run away. I've got so many, like, I've got fanfare for the common man in my head, which is not helpful for anyone. But the Universal... Boom. That that's Jerry Goldsmith. Anyway, the general. <laughs> um, uh, Donald Brannigan is saying the music from uh, music was uh, Star Trek the motion picture. That's right. The fly around scene was the first time the USS Enterprise was seen on a cinema screen and not a small TV set. Hence why they put in the ridiculous flying around it in a shuttle, going ooh, it did look great. Uh, I, I, yeah, it's fine. They're allowed that, and it gave us that theme tune, which gave us which was then used in TNG, which is brilliant. You know, uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation for those. Uh, not familiar. Anyway, right, the general. What are we going to say about the general? Well, firstly, don't go in there expecting sound, uh, because <laughs> the general is a silent film. It's um, but it's it's brilliant. It's not only is it a well constructed film with a really good kind of in- engaging plot, but it has a bit of a documentary feel to it. So in a way, you know, given its proximity to the actual civil war, there's an element. You know, it used like it used like two, like a train's worth of you know huge amounts of actual civil war material you know, like artillery and all sorts to just give it that kind of feel. It's kind of shot in this glorious sort of sepia, black and white sepia. It just works really well. Um, every frame sort of sits like a, like a, like, 
anyone, do, you, do you remember the, the do you remember Matthew Brady? He did these really famous lots of the Civil War photos that you see are uh, from the American Civil War are were, were taken by Matthew Brady. Um, I don't know what his uh, allegiance, where his allegiances sat, but he he was you know kind of pretty important famous photographer. Um, I think was he like trained by uh, he was anyway yeah uh, what yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't actually know a huge amount about Matthew Brady, other than the fact that the fil- the shot, every almost shot by shot, every frame kind of every frame sort of sits like these Civil War photos. Um, really, really good. Um, there are you can um, there 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 is there are several or there are more than one scored versions of this. So there's kind of a score set to it to give you something to have in the background while you watch it. Um, but actually, I quite enjoy it in silence. There's something kind of something quite centering about just watching a silent film and sort of having it happening in front of you it's quite good um it cost a huge amount of money to make i mean if you've if you've seen it or even seen clips from it you'd be like oh well no surprises there because it's epic in scale um also it has incredible train sequences on it like some very famous train crashes and just train stunts and good grief um anyway so yeah uh just it's, it's, it's well worth watching uh, it's sort of yeah it cost a huge amount of money um it actually lost money at the box you know at the at cinemas and essentially this robbed buster keaton of his independence he had to sort of sign up with uh i think presumably with like mgm united artists from this point onwards uh, anyway he he didn't make his own films from this point onwards because of that kind of uh, box office failure but there we go it's well worth watching good fun um what next Number six, we're hammering through them. We're, we're, we're catching up with time a little bit, which is good. Oh, number six. Well, this is supposed to be a topical, you know, real matter is supposed to be topical as well as being like the, the, the subject matter. It's supposed to also do like discussion of what's going on, right? Anyway, oh, number six, some nice lounge music. I, need to, I, I made this gag when I did a pre-record with Dr. David Turner last night, but uh, jazz. Uh, talking of jazz, The Lady Vanishes. Is is number six ninety eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. This is this is a decent this is a decent Rotten Tomatoes score, um and and the version that the ninth so Lady Vanishes has been made like at least two or three remade at least at least twice I think possibly three times. There was a recent version that raised interest in it. There was a recent like possibly BBC version what was it ITV I think it was a BBC version, but the the original uh, Hitchcock version with uh, Margaret Lockwood and Michael Redgrave in it. I think is the best. I think it's the, the black and white feel. It, the fact that it's made at this time, it has a distinctly sort of kind of paranoid. There's a there's a definite sense of paranoia of like of like the end. There's like callbacks to the oh the, the past times loss of innocence thing, which which is interesting happening. If given that that was sort of a lot of that stuff happened during the First World War, there's definitely feelings of transition and 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 and, and as a result of that, also the tension that was going on in 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 mainland Europe during the sort of the late 30s that that tension it, it it's yeah it captures that it captures it because they couldn't avoid that vibe frankly because that was not what the vibe in europe was it was made in oh it's released in 1938 so it gives you a feel um so it's got that general kind of paranoid feel uh that you'd associate with late 1930s europe um but it's very good it, it's very tense it's played very well um it's it's arguably hitchcock at its finest you know I, hitchcock you know i'm a massive fan of vertigo i think this and vertigo are amongst hitchcock's finest work you know really really good it, it was like an absolute box office smash it did really well uh it was like the most popular british film like for ages just yeah uh really good it is really good and the train is a, a key feature of it of course um 
yeah, this is fun though. I don't know, this weird, like, slightly SS logo of, of GB, a GB production. Is that a bit like this film was made using British, with help from the UK government type situation? Or is that, uh, is that the, that was the, the brand of GB Studios or something? I don't know. Um, yes. Um, so, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, lots of people talking about Buster Keaton. Yeah, any any thoughts on the GB logo chat? Uh, oh, bye, Simon. Uh, cheerio. You have to catch up the the rest later. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, no, Matt Reed, no, I'm not going to do a quick blurb on the plot of each film because it it'll give it away. Go and watch them. Uh, go and watch them. Uh, you'd, I don't, I'm not going to give you a plot. If you want to read the plot, you can do that on Wikipedia. But no, no, I'm not going to give the plot for all of them because. Um, I think you should go and watch them. They're good. If they're on this list, trust me that they are engaging. <laughs> uh, right, next film. Number five. Oh, it's our last five. Ooh-hoo-hoo. What's it going to be, though, folks? What is it going to be? Oh, that's a nice bit of piano work there, isn't it? Uh, it's So it's another tense one. It's a, a very, very, very good, very tense, very entertaining film. The Taking of Pelham 123. Now, that poster looks very scary. It's not quite as scary as in sort of violent scary as that poster pick makes out, but it is very very tense. Um, again, scoring scoring is fantastic. Um, uh, David Shepard, that's the GB Rail logo. Lol, yeah. Um, that GB logo looks more like if Warner's had been more fashy. Yeah, it does a bit, doesn't it? Uh, anyway, right. Let's 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 digress. I'm getting lost already. Taking a Pelham one two three, the original nineteen seventy four version. Uh, vigorously liked by Rotten Tomatoes, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. This film is brilliant. It's uh, Yeah, I was talking about scoring, wasn't I? So so David Shire did the score. Um, David Shire didn't, didn't really know him from anything. I, to be honest, I didn't, didn't know his name. Um, I had to look it up when I wanted to be like, to, to actually make these notes. Like, I've actually got, there's some notes. I, have, I made, I, I did some reading up to remind myself of, of names and, and facts for some of these. Uh, um, uh, yeah, David Shire's score it's actually very good. It's a very, very interesting score. It's quite, um, it's quite novel actually, but it's really, it really builds the tension. Um, and Robert Shaw, who plays the sort of, um, actually both Walter Matthau and uh, Robert Shaw are brilliant. So Matthau plays the the sort of cop who's, uh, who's sort of trying to fix the problem. He's like, he's like in the, he's the, in the like, uh, I think he's basically in the British Transport Police, but in in you know New York, and um, and Robert Shaw plays this sort of intellectual baddie who's who's yeah well i'm not gonna say what he's doing but anyway he's brilliant it's that's right it's red grant everyone um and um yeah he in fact <laughs> so so this was filmed they filmed a lot of it uh using the kind of the line next to the what is now the new york transit museum i think it was the new york transit museum then actually and there's a platform next to it that they used um and the filmmakers kind of set up uh loads of, of sort of chess boards and, and and kind of recreational stuff to keep the extras entertained because there's a few ex- you know quite a few extras to keep them all entertained um during kind of breaks in filming and uh <laughs> and giving like seriously strong red grant vibes uh robert shaw basically just beasted absolutely everyone at table tennis like he was completely undefeated at table tennis that's <laughs> the idea of him just like absolutely obliterating every single one of the extras and film crew at table tennis during the making of this film uh yeah, I just love that vibe. Um, I think one of the other things I like a lot is um, that this it just shows an absolutely knackered looking New York City. Like, uh, what I've been working my way through the Bond films recently. If by the way, if you're going to watch watch the Bond films, do so 
with then listening to the appropriate Kill James Bond podcast episode afterwards because it, it, it's, it makes the whole thing that, that much more appealing. Um, Live and Let Die, which is an awful film, uh, horrendously dreadful film, um, has it does feature some nice shots of knackered-looking Harlem, specifically, the lacquered-looking New York City. Um, and, and I kind of love that look. It's a reminder of how knackered, you know, one of the, the world's, one of the West's great, or the Northern Hemisphere's great cities just looked absolutely wrecked through the 1970s. Uh, and um, kind of despite this, <laughs> the Metropolitan Transit Authority were like, really, they were like, we don't want any graffiti in this film. So there's, weirdly, the mayor had just made gra- fighting graffiti a thing, that it was just going to happen, which, to be fair, you can relate to. I, mean, I can imagine the London mayor coming out with the same sort of thing. Then, this, so this film has the most shiny train in it. Like all the other trains at the time were covered in, you know, graffiti. This, the train in question, does not. Um, you know, they have that nice sort of silver look to them, don't they? The uh, the MTA trains, which which is really nice. Um, anyway, I digress somewhat. But um, yeah, I thought that's funny. And also, the other thing that's funny is the Metropolitan Transit Authority. Um, uh, they they still to this day generally avoid scheduling or like if they can totally avoid scheduling trains um, uh, at either one twenty three or thirteen twenty three um, from you know uh, departing Pelham Bay Park Station as a result of this film just to avoid kind of you know just for you know hashtag reasons which I think is quite funny um, yeah Gesundheit right next one number four we're really in the countdown now we have not got many films left folks oh. Not many films left at all. Next film is... Do you realise you're condemning our Billy's to death? Open it up to buses and lorries and what's it going to be like in five years' time? Our lanes will be concrete roads. Our houses will have numbers instead of names. There'll be traffic lights and zebra crossings. And that'll be twice as dangerous. Of course it's the Tipfield Thunderbolt, everyone. Ah, of course it's the Tipfield Thunderbolt. It is, um... The brilliant Tipfield Thunderbolt, wonderful film. Weirdly, though, totally unrated on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Clearly, it's one that's passed the Rotten Tomatoes critics by, which I do find quite funny. Um, it's brilliant. Uh, it's just charming, ridiculous. It's one. It's just basically Tim Dunn's life is like Tipfield Thunderbolt. You know, he rides trains off the tracks and down roads. That's his. That's just what Tim Dunn's life is like. If anyone's wondering. Um, it's just brilliant, isn't it? Absolutely wonderful. Um, just strong, strongly love this film and its vibes. And as you see from that little clip, kind of, kind of prescient in a few ways. But I, I just, there's not much more to say about it really. It's charmingly scored, wonderful locations. It's got all the best. It's got all the all the fun folks in it. It's my engine. It's just brilliant. It's just a brilliant film. Uh, so it comes in at a strong number four. Um, 7.1 on IMDb, but what do they know? They know nothing. IMDb know nothing. Oh, so, um, oh, anyway, so, um, yes, I vigorously, vigorously, strongly recommend you to, uh, to watch Tipfield Thunderbolt if you have not already, but I'm reckoning everyone here probably has. Um, it does involve a road-going GWR14XX. It's very entertaining, yes. So here we go. The last three, folks, the last three. I'm excited by these two. Okay, so what, what's the next one? What do you think it's going to be? What are the guesses? I don't know how delayed the um, the chat is. I think there's quite a long delay on the chat this time for some reason. Um, what do you think? Yeah, that was like 15 seconds from change up the top. We're getting there. It's not going to be super late. Don't worry, everyone. We're going to be finishing fairly sharpish. Um, three last films. 
What can we do? What can we do? Yeah, IMDb is indeed Amazon. Yes. Um, sadly, Amazon did buy up IMDb. Emergent Prime. Oh, some interesting suggestions here. Some very interesting suggestions. <laughs> okay. Okay. Right. Let's see where we're going with it then, shall we? Number three. What's it going to be? Look, uh, I make a proposition to you. I'll take care of him. If you take care of her. That's a straight 50-50 split, huh? No. No. <laughs> I would rather it was the other way about. Let me have one round. You take care of Mrs. W. Wait. Nice wind cutters Guess there. Who's next? Oh, lovely Creed and Carmine as well. Wait a minute, one round. Don't shoot. Don't shoot. Don't shoot. Look, we can make a deal. You'll never get away by yourself. I'll help you. Do him. He's the one who got you into this. Do him. I heard you. Both of you. I've been standing here all the time. Sure, you two are going to put me on the train. And all the time you've been telling me how stupid I am. Okay, so who looks stupid now, eh? The safety catch was on. so much it's so good it's so good ah no there was it was it was a it was done in color it was um it was the lady killers was done in color it was a technicolor film um that's one of the if not the great ealing studios ealing comedy it's so dark that moment when herbert lom stands up and is cleaning his knife you know closing his his flick knife uh, is not a flick knife is it it's a you know what i mean it's a, a sliding shiny shaving knife thing flips it and pops it back in his pocket it's so sinister it's such a dark film and yet it's so funny it's so it's farcically funny alec guinness plays the whole thing so straight and yet just you see him just his little mannerisms it's just now immediately you're going that's a train movie absolutely it is yes you'll notice i didn't say train films i said railway films and the arguably the main character in this film is not Mrs. Uh, <laughs> Mrs. Lopsided. It is, in fact, the land around... And here it is. Here's where the film was shot. So they actually built the cottage at the end here of Frederica Street at the time, which existed at the time. It don't exist anymore. Totally taken over with new development, uh, kind of new council houses were built there. But it used to be a large coal depot. So those lines, when you watch the film, the lines that are above the, the, the kind of the top of Copenhagen Tunnel... Um, those lines existed. They were they were they were coal lines. You can see there was there's a little sort of um, shunt neck that was used to, for the to, to kind of bring the coal trains in. Um, and, and you can see so so for me the the main character in this is is kind of the main character is this whole area because the whole film is shot. 
in and around Good's Way and so the, where the, 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 the truck, there's that truck that reverses back and gets in the way and, and blocks the, uh, it kind of reverses backwards and blocks the road and it's all part of the shenanigans. That happens on Battlebridge Road. All of the, the film takes place in all of this totally lost. Like it's gone, all of it's gone. Very little the locations are, are, are familiar to anyone anymore. But this whole area is just, is, is, is a main character in the film. Um, and uh, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just fantastic. I, I love it. I absolutely adore. It. And the film is brilliant, but it, very much the, that railway territory, the land around there, is 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 a main character in the film. I think so. For me, it absolutely qualifies as a as a as a railway film. And indeed, Lady Killers, nineteen fifty five, does get a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So it's it's just yeah. Uh, I think Lady Killers is fantastic. Um, some other people are suggesting other films, but they, you're suggesting non fiction things. So uh, Snowdrift at Blef uh, at Ble uh, Gill. Is it Bleemore? No, it isn't Bleemore. It is Bleefgill. Uh, no, it's not. A, it's a, that's a documentary. These are fiction. These are blockbusters movies. Um, uh, yes, technical process makes uh, Kodachrome seem environmentally friendly. Oh golly, I can imagine. Oh, um, what else we got? All these, all these old films deserve to be rescanned. Some of them have been remastered. Actually, I think the Ealing Studios ones have been remastered. Actually, uh, yeah. So. Uh, where are we? Let's see. Da, 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 da. Uh, Cutthroat Razor. That'll be the one. Thanks, Matteo. Uh, yes. Uh, what else? Uh, any, any other comments and thoughts on here? Uh, yes. Gareth Williams. I'm amazed that you haven't heard any. Of, are you are you like full blast eight for eight so far? Um, having not heard of any of these. It's quite impressive. If so. So that's all of these films. Let's move ourselves on to... Uh, Number two, the second last in our list. Oh, that cliff's wonderful, by the way. But anyway, what is the number two? Uh, hoo, hoo, hoo. Ah, what might it be? What might it be? take some sweeping up yes what a line <laughs> of course it's the railway children of course uh absolutely stunning film uh glorious completely glorious got the lovely jenny agatha in it of course um it's just exquisite absolutely exquisite uh wonderful wonderful thing um bernard cribbins is a delight in it actually quite a really nicely nuanced performance um 
It's from 1970. Good grief, it's giving off 70s vibes in that poster. But uh, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, as you'd expect. And it's it features, I mean, it features a blinking, you know, Earthworks failure. I, I can't, you know, you can't fault it for that. It's it's brilliant. Uh, and it's got all sorts, it's just, it's, and again, the railway itself is very much a character. It's it's just, it's brilliant. I, I it's just, uh, honestly, joyous film. Um I don't. Th- I can't remember there being anything particularly problematic in it. I, I seem to remember it being a pretty reasonable representation of of this perception of the middle classes of what of what northern life was like. And it's filmed uh, uh, on location at the Keith Worth Valley Railway. It's just yeah, it's it's glorious. Um, just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Lots of love for that film. Lots of love. And uh, indeed, some of you had suggested it already in here. So indeed, Matteo, same vintage as yours truly. Oh, really? Interesting. Um, Network Rail about to have a headache. That's what it is. Yeah, correct. Uh, Michael Ward, correct. Yeah, I think it was filmed in the Keith Linworth Valley. Yeah, still as you welling up, Chabai. Yeah, it's uh, oh, just just glorious. Right. So, which then? What is our last film going to be? What else could there possibly be? Oh, Richard Smith can't fault an Earthworks failure, can you? Thanks, Richard. <laughs> oh number one they always do a bit of a brood they, they do like a countdown don't they so what, what we, we've had a few we've had we've had a few crackers in there we've had some really old films we've had a few british films we've had a few american films primarily british films actually i realize but we just do better railway films don't we um now what is this the last film mm. what could it be folks what could it be well let's have a look shall we spitfire coming. Oh, 
attention of that scene. Crikey. Oh, so it's the train. 1964 is the train. The uh, the epic, absolutely epic Frankenheimer war classic, the train from 1964 about the French resistance. Um, it's absolutely spectacular. It is. Uh, so that sequence actually it was added in later because they decided they needed one more action sequence, which is Doolally. The whole thing is action from start to finish. But it. Um, the reason they're all looking stressed out is because it's the tension of discussing what they're saying should be their last job. And it's just, oh, it's it's stunning. Lots of very long, I think everyone's feeling the tension in that. Lots of long, very, very long sort of uh, long shots. Uh, lots of people doing, acti- so there's, there's loads of fantastic shots of, for example, Burt Lancaster working on... Um, uh, working on some parts for the train, repairs to the train, um, putting the train back together. Um, and, and he's there pouring metal, shaping parts, carrying... He's a bodybuilder, so... And, and worked at a circuit. He's there carrying parts across to reattach to this locomotive. Uh, there, there are just so many long shots that, that there's, there's a sequence in which they... Um, there's, they, they are, they, the film sets up a, a marshalling yard to be, to be bombed, an Allied bombing raid. And it was actually a marshalling yard that SNCF were wanting to demolish and reconstruct in the 60s. And so they just blew it up with heavy explosive, actual heavy explosive. None of this stupid pyrotechnic pop stuff that has absolutely no explosive capability but sends a load of flame into the air unrealistically. No, no. Actual heavy explosive. Thousands and thousands of, of, of sort of kind of pounds worth of, of, of heavy explosive blowing up. And you can see the shockwaves travelling through the ground at these explosions. It's just incredible. Um... Yeah, just just honestly a fantastic film. If you can get it on Blu-ray, I'd recommend it. Uh, as, as with any of these, if you can get them in HD, DVD is rubbish. You know, the quality of DVD is rubbish. If you can get them in Blu-ray or or on, or digitally, um, uh, you know, uh, rent them. Actually, that's just on YouTube for for hire. If you if you don't mind doing it that way, it's just um, yeah, it's um, it's it's just exquisite. There's a there there are derailments for reasons, and it's just it's just brilliant. And again, it's not just about it's called the train. You'll understand why if you watch the film, but the whole railway, the whole way that a railway works, is featured, and and it's it, it's uh, and it it features decay. You know, it features that it, it's kind of a very good anti-war film. It shows the the contempt of ideology, but through a proxy, it's just very cleverly done. Very very cleverly done. Uh, it's my favorite, one of my favorite films, let alone my favorite railway film. Um, just stunning. Paul Schofield is exquisite in it as as an unhinged sort of uh, senior officer. It's just very, very good. Very, very good. Oh, and there we go. Those are the films. Did, did what, what did you think? Uh, but those are the 10, my top 10. So uh, Silver Streak, uh, Runaway Train, Von Ryan's Express, The General, The Lady Vanishes, The Taking of Pelham 123, The Tipfield Thunderbolt, The Lady Killers, The Railway Children, and The Train. Only two of those, three of those, three of them, only three of them don't start with the. Uh, well, I'll take from that what you will. Um, how many have you heard of? How many of you... Uh, Gareth Williams is saying, heard of one, watched zero. Well, there's your Christmas sorted, Gareth. Uh, love the job. These are these are, these are are the films. They are the my top ten. Uh, vigorous recommend. Uh, I love them all uh, to varying degrees, but particularly the, the those those sort of last four are, you know, uh, you know the Tipfield Thunderbolt, the Lady Killers, the Railway Children, and the Train are, are my all-time absolute favourites. They are brilliant. They are really, really, really brilliant. Uh, yes, 
go and uh, go and watch. I, I hope that was fun. I hope you enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. It was good fun. Um, oh, any thoughts, questions, theories? Uh, anything else to add? I haven't got any Christmas food around me. I managed to lock my spine up. Oh, anyway, crunch. <laughs> Uh, Herod of Six, watched four. Uh, Simon Waterworth, so many of these films I've seen part of by watching them on TV half an hour after they started. Heard of about eight out of ten. Um, what would Tim think of me not putting tip, uh, Tipfield first? Oh, I'm sure he wouldn't mind. Um, Daniel is going to be watching. Daniel Cantwell is going to be watching The Lady Killers again. Yeah, watch that one. Don't watch the Tom Hanks remake. It's dreadful. Just ignore that. Pretend it wasn't made. Uh, Heard of Six, watched three in full and bits of one. Oh, crikey. Oh, I'm pleased. Um, yeah, Mission Impossible isn't in this because it's not a whole... The whole film's not about the railway or a train, but it does have a very, very fun... Uh, it does have some very fun, if silly, sequences in it. Uh, yes, and lots of errors. Um, Gareth Williams has got three series of Mr. Tim Dunn lined up for the next for next week. Well, that'll, that'll do you as well. Um, David Sheff has watched at least half of these. Well, I'm very pleased. Um... Uh, there are a few of these I need to rewatch actually that I haven't watched in, in in a few years. Um Oh, there we go. Right, we're twelve minutes behind schedule, thirteen minutes behind schedule. Let's let's go back to let's go back to the traditional format, shall we? So that was pushing the format. That was all sorts of bells and whistles going on there. We had clips, we had hold music. Oh, crikey. Uh oh, pushing the pushing the already very sketchy format to its absolute <laughs> absolute limits anyway uh, i don't know how that held that probably wasn't too bad in audio only format actually that one uh you had bits of films you had you know lounge music oh lovely so uh yeah podcast it, this is a this goes out as a sort of podcast as well although it's a bit weird if you do that you definitely watch it on youtube because come on that's where all the details but for those of you who don't like it in audio only format hi john um uh hopefully this is is, is has been a fun one for you um uh, and uh, and thanks thanks for thanks for listening Spotify you know for a lot of you've been saying that I, I am you know this is your most listened to podcast on Spotify which is bonkers I don't know how that works oh I do know how it works it's because I've worked out how to game the system which is by creating hours and hours of content even though it's just one a week that's how to do it nailed it um, the ads patreon.com slash Gareth Dennis for supporting me to make more of this stuff and and and, and also you know go to the patreon is where as a patreon person you you have the right of decision over future episodes so you get to suggest guests you get to suggest themes all that sort of good stuff you also get a discount on the merchandise uh aforementioned merchandise which you can get from masket um uh just search masket rail natter i'm sure it'll appear uh, masket m-a-s-q-u-e-t-t-e uh, paypal.me slash gareth dennis to throw comments and pennies at me which is always much appreciated uh, if you don't fancy a long-term commitment through patreon uh, or if there's like a particular article you've read that you thought was quite good then then um then uh, do that um there's there's more treats but hang out ha- hang on for a minute because there's some treats after this by the way uh garethdennis.co.uk slash discord for the continued chat to keep up to date with the chat and generally have have the fun um uh, that is going on in the chat right now which i'm gonna miss over christmas uh i might see if i can drop in but chances are not because i'm gonna be away so um uh oh what's that about a current clydesdale five pound note bank note uh, I don't know what the discussion is about, but you need one of these. There, it's got the fourth bridge on it, so I'm a big fan. There it is the focus there, Clydesdale Bank. I have it just on here. Uh, it goes up here. That's that's my special fiver because it's got the fourth bridge on it. I'm not spending that. Anyway, let's go back to this. <laughs> uh, yes, Discord, lovely. Oh, 
Yes, treats. So, um, I mean, this is a little while ago now, a week or two ago. No, it was last week, wasn't it? Um, third episode of Well, There's Your Problem podcast. I have appeared. Uh, and we're talking about a line. The line. <laughs> we're talking about the Chicago to New York Electric Airline Railroad, which is good fun. Uh, it's very fun and very silly. Uh, we had a lot of... I, I laughed a lot on uh, uh, during that... Um, during that episode, I laughed an awful lot. Apparently, apparently there's an HST on this. Uh... Oh, there is. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, there is. Oh, I haven't plugged in my spare camera. Wait a minute. People are discussing Clydesdale bank notes and... Uh, no, that side. That. Focus. 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 It's not going to focus, folks. Wait, if I put it right there. There it is. There's the HST. There you go. Oh, back out of focus again. Oh, there you go. Who'd have thought my random shelf of junk would have come in useful? Anyway. Yes, well, there's your problem podcast. Go watch. It was a lot of fun. I lost the plot at least once, if not several times. Um, and it's also episode 91. You know, into 225 fades away, episode 91. That wasn't planned, but, you know, it's fun how these things work. Um, so, yeah, go and uh, watch up. Uh, watch that episode on the C-N-Y-E-A-L. Ridiculous railway. Oh, so that. What's next? Now I've come somewhere very, very special indeed. This is the Network Rail Archive. Uh, Vicky's joined me. Vicky is uh, one of the records assistants here at uh, at the archive. Vicky spread out some treasures for us to have a look at. So this, what's this first drawing that we've got here? The first one is Cardiff Central Station. These are alterations that were made from 1933. Now these, the, the detail, the architectural detail there is fantastic. This next drawing looks a bit more familiar. This is clearly the fourth bridge, but what's special about this particular drawing? The beautiful one about this is it shows you how the construction process took place. So the areas in the red were constructed first, then blue, and then the rest. Ah, marvellous. So you've got the construction progress there. Now this last treasure looks incredible. What's what's this? What, what are we looking so at here? This is George Stevenson's service of Stockton and Darlington Railway from 1822. Amazing, and you can see his signature here, it's just wonderful. Now it's not just the historical merit of these artefacts. As an engineer, my day job is to upgrade the existing infrastructure, and for that I need to understand how it was built, and how it was maintained, what it looked like when it was put together, in order to upgrade the railways for the future. Original drawings of Britain's most famous railway structures and the earliest plans for modern rail travel by George Stevenson himself are just some of the millions of historic and legal documents held by Network Rail's amazing archive that are crucial to the running of today's modern railway. Now, you might think that the work of an archive has little or no relevance to you and me, but actually, as Network Rail, and this is a fun fact, Network Rail is one of the biggest landowners in Britain. So it gets dozens and dozens of deeds requests every day from solicitors and developers. So the archive actually is in constant use to prove the boundaries of its land and the rights of access. So basically every day, Network Rail, and therefore you and me, the taxpayer, are being saved significant amounts of money and time. And as Gareth mentioned as well, all the original plans for rail infrastructure can help Network Rail carry out massive improvements and repairs while preserving historically important structures. Now, all of this enabled Network Rail to continue to maintain, improve and develop the railway for passengers today and in the future as well. 
so you can find more out about how Network Rail looks after our historic railway by visiting networkrail.co.uk forward slash history. Oh, that's nice, isn't it? Thanks, Network Rail. Um, yeah, that's a nice little tidbit. So, yeah, uh, 12 days to Christmas. Hashtag 12 days to Christmas. To, no, hashtag 12 doors to Christmas uh, to, to enjoy those. There's there's 12 of them, and they're all lovely. Um, Simon Wadsworth, Fourth Bridge. Everyone's talking about the Fourth Bridge. There is a Fourth Bridge episode of Rail Natter, um, which on two, so two things to note. Firstly, on the Fourth Bridge, I next year should be visiting the Fourth Bridge for a future Rail Natter episode. So there's an interesting little tidbit for you but also the reason i just played well partly the reason is because this is a nice uh it's a nice little episode but also um the archive we're also going to do an episode of real matter from the archive because it's just a, an absolute feast an absolute feast uh and it'd be good to explore have a chat with the the archivists and the the, the, the kind of the people looking after the, the arbiters of that, that that asset it's just uh it's very interesting indeed so uh so that now what else what other treats have i got in here ah yes so what have we got in store for you this holiday season? Well, uh, next week's episode is going to be episode 94. Uh, we're going to be looking at 10 of the world's most edible-looking railway stations. We're going to have, we've got the lovely Emily Turner joining us, and we're talking, we, we both get fairly drunk, and we talk about edible railway stations. So you've got that to look forward to. That should be fun. Uh, that, that, that's that's a, that's a pre-record, but you know it'll be live-ish, as in in the chat, and you can all chat and and join with friends, and we might all be there if we're super locked down. Episode ninety-five, the week after, uh, also pre-record. Uh, Doctor David Turner is joining us, and uh, although I've titled this Edwardian style, actually uh, it's also Victorian. We're, we're talking about the Victorians as well, so I kind of slightly dishonestly titled this one. Uh, in hindsight, I probably should have kind of corrected, but anyway, it's fine. So. Um, episode 95, Xmas Holidays by Rail, Edwardian Style, with Dr. David Turner, friend of the show, Dr. DT, is joining us. Um, and he will be, uh, we'll be talking about all sorts. We cover all sorts. It's just, we basically take a load of stuff that David has researched and it's interesting, relates to Christmas. We spread it all out on a table and we chat all about it. Um, and it's, uh, it, it's good fun, having also recorded that one last night. Uh, except that obviously, you know, haven't, that'll be in the new year. That'll be first, the first 2022 Rail Natter. And then the first live, we'll be back live, I'll be here chatting to you all, uh, with Rebecca Wilkes. Uh, and we'll be talking about, it'll be episode 96, and weirdly, the same as last year, we'll be starting off with a Welsh episode. So we'll be saying, what is wrong with the Fronda line? Uh, what is wrong with the Fronda line? Well, we're going to be talking just about that in episode 96, which will be the first live episode in the new year. Episode 96, crikey. It feels like episode 69, nice, was only recently, and now we're at 96. We're nearly at the 100th episode, crikey. Whew. So much to keep on top of. Um, so uh, as a bit of an update, it's nothing formalised yet. As a bit of an update for the live, well, not live, the the, the, the in-person episode, um, it's looking, uh, the, the York one that, that 20, 21 of you have already got tickets for, it's looking increasingly likely that that isn't going to happen now, which is obviously pretty gutting. It would have been a lot of fun. That is looking less likely to be happening. It's looking more likely not to happen than to happen at this stage. Um, I'll make a decision before the end of this year so that you haven't got too long to to make arrangements for those of you who book tickets and things to kind of try and get refunds on that. Um, it's not set yet, but I will put a formal announcement out. I'll email everyone who's bought tickets as well. You'll get your refunds. Um, yeah, we'll we'll 
this is the state of things. We'll see. There might be a change, but actually at the moment it's not looking healthy. It looks like there'll be a lockdown um, after Christmas. There'll be a lockdown for probably a month or so. So, oh, let's see. Let's see. But um, so that's a shame. But there will be a pre. There will be a an episode where we all meet and it'll be fun. And maybe it's an opportunity to, given that that many that many more people come, maybe it's an opportunity for me to plan a bit ahead and get a larger venue. So we'll we'll, we'll see. Uh, it gives an opportunity to do something bigger and better if it doesn't happen. I'd be really sad. Also, I'll need to, for that episode. We'll work out a way to. We'll maybe do a quiz because we'll we'll look at a way to, um, to raise money for York LGBT Forum because I still want to raise cash for them. We'll do it again with the live one uh, with the pre-record, but I do want to raise cash for them. So we'll we'll work that out. Anyway, um, it only really remains for me to say. Have a fantastic... Thanks all, to all of you for a year of sticking with me through my various rantings. Um, it's a bit weird to... You know, the, the, the single person doing a podcast format is... You know, I, I, guest episodes, I think, are, are, are better. They work better. But I do have fun with you in the chat on here. Hello to everyone in the chat. I do have fun with you all guiding me. Um, and and I, and somehow, it, you know, the numbers keep increasing. You seem to be enjoying it. and And it's... It's a bit of a labor, a labor of love rail matter. So, you know, 2021 is the first full year we've had and it's been great. It has been, it's been good. It's been good fun. Um, uh, it's been a difficult year in lots of ways, but it's also been, you know, there's been lots of interesting things we've explored. Next year is going to be bigger and better in terms of what we can get into the guests we can get, you know, as rail matter gets bigger, guests are more interested in coming and, and, and appearing. So, uh, it should be a fun year for for Rail Natter folks, and particularly if we start doing some uh, some some in some some sort of in person shows, that'll be even more fun. So uh, all that remains is for me to say, sort of uh, Yuletide greetings. Have a have a wonderful Christmas break, um, and I will see. And Hogmanay for those who are celebrating. Hopefully, we can you know people can. Oh yeah. Hopefully we have a chance to at least be outside and sort of tip tip a hat to, to our friends and family. Um, we'll see, we'll see. But without further waffling from me, you've all been you've been a wonderful audience, and I will see you in well, I'll see you next week. But that's a past version of me that will see you next week. Future me will see you in the new year. <laughs> I'm gonna raise a mug to you all. I'm not sure whether this mug is or indeed is not a gadget ban. The only way you can find out is by buying it from Masket. <laughs> and all I can say is Happy Christmas everyone. Cheerio.